the rate of heart attacks and strokes did not go down during COVID, yet we weren't seeing them at the rate that we were before. That just told me like how scared people are, is that they would rather tough out their stroke or heart attack or equally life-threatening illness at home than to come in due to fear of the virus. Welcome to Medspectives, the show about health professionals and the stories of their practice. On today's episode, we talked to Dr. Cassandra Bradby, the Residency Director for Emergency Medicine at Vidant Medical Center in Greenville, North Carolina. She shares how medical education for emergency medicine residents in the hospital has changed due to the pandemic, as well as the fear patients had of the virus, so much so that less patients were actually coming into the emergency room despite the fact that the rates of fatal conditions like heart attacks and strokes were unaffected. She also shares insight on the practice of emergency medicine as a whole. Dr. Bradby is a physician I've known for about three years now, and I remember the first time I met her was at a pre-med club meeting uh, where she talked about emergency medicine case studies. I remember how confident and passionate she was when she talked, and that was ultimately what inspired me to reach out to her three years later. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Dr. Bradby, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing great. Um, just for the viewers out there, if you want to give your, give a little bit of an introduction of yourself. So, hey, everybody. I'm Cassandra Bradby. I am the Residency Program Director and the Vice Chair for Diversity Inclusion for the Department of Emergency Medicine at Brody School of Medicine at East Carolina University and Vidant Medical Center in Greenville, North Carolina. Awesome, perfect. And so I mean, we'll just jump right into it, Dr. Bradby. How how has the past couple months been for you? Like did, adjusting during this time, you know, being the director of the residency program. I know there's just so much to talk about. Where do you want to start? Uh, I think that it's been an interesting six esque months, right? Like uh, we all kind of saw what was going on overseas and has spread from country to country. Then when it finally made it here, I think. I'm not positive if I thought we were going to be more prepared or if we weren't. I don't really know. Um, but I do know that when it got to North Carolina, I think we were better prepared than many other states. It helped to see what New York was going through before it got here. Um, and I think our hospital has done a great job of trying to protect us and trying to protect the patients. Uh, while keeping in mind that we also need to care for everybody who doesn't have COVID uh, in the region as well. And so I think they did an excellent job of trying to stay on top of all of those things in the middle of the pandemic. Um, but I think that the pandemic has touched all of us in ways that we didn't expect. So while we focused a lot on patient care, I don't, I'm not real sure anybody realized exactly what that was going to do uh, to medical education uh, and how we were all going to have to uh, adjust to not having learners in the space and then what happens when they come back and how long do you keep them out do you keep them out for the entirety of the pandemic and then if you do that like do they not graduate on time because they couldn't finish the curriculum do you adjust the curriculum what do you do uh, and i think that has been uh much harder almost than dealing with uh the illness itself it's been dealing with the after effects and so We've got medical students that are several months behind in their curriculum, and so they created whole classes about ethics and pandemics, uh, which I thought was great because it never occurred to me that folks could just create a class with you know, just a few weeks' notice, and they, they did it, though. 
uh, and they made it happen. So I think that's been outstanding. I think they spent a lot of time, by they, I mean the medical school administration, uh, spent a lot of time trying to figure out how it would be safe uh, to bring everybody back to the space um, and how to make sure that they are adequately protected uh, while making sure that all of us uh, who have to be there are also adequately protected. And so I think they've done uh, a, a really great job of trying to get everybody through this, trying to support the students um, and to support each other. Because I think it's also been hard when you're used to being in the same space with people all the time and then everybody's all of a sudden working from home. Uh, and everybody's still not back yet, actually, from working from home. Uh, so I think it's been a lot of adjustment uh, and a lot of uh, unexpected change in a very small amount of time. Right. And going back to that um, fact about medical education, like I, I could imagine it's probably pretty rough for for residents, um, particularly in emergency medicine. Right. I think people that choose to go into emergency medicine um, ha are, are, you know, some some amount of them are a little bit of like an adrenaline junkie. Right. They enjoy like that rush from the emergency room. Um, and do you think like how, how do you, how are you seeing residents, you know, adjusting to the pandemic you think or do you see like some people like you know confronting it with like oh my goodness like I, I feel you know very empowered to be able to you know treat patients during this time um and like how how are their sentiments that that you felt so interestingly enough when this whole start the whole thing started we created a small uh, area of the emergency department where we only saw the patients that are suspected to have covid and we kept that up for probably two or months or so. Um, and originally I wouldn't let the residents uh, staff that unit. And partly because there were too many unknowns. Like we didn't know um, exactly like how this was transmitted. We didn't know if we were gonna have enough PPE. Um, and the last thing that I want is them in the space and not protected, because I don't think that's fair. Um, I think that with every patient that they see and attending also has to see. So in order to cut down on the amount of PPE needed and the amount of um, exposure, I thought it was best to keep them out of the space. So for the first probably like six weeks or so, I think uh, they did not work uh, in the COVID unit. So they weren't seeing those patients, but they were managing the rest of the ED as they usually would. Um, and then out over some time, I came to realize that this isn't going to get better. So uh, they're actually going to have to learn how to do this because if they don't, then I'm going to set them loose uh, in June for graduation uh, into a world where nobody is going to protect them from COVID. So uh, they're going to have to learn how to do it. So I let the senior residents work in the COVID space uh, to try to learn um, more about the illness, how to manage it. Um, the biggest thing was like procedures and trying to figure out how to intubate with the least amount of spray and uh, the least amount of spread, uh, not aerosolizing um, particles, um, which I'm not quite positive. I realized exactly how much stuff got aerosolized during an intubation until now. So, hey, there's something that I learned. Uh, but they were game to learn and uh, game to to try and uh, beat this illness with the rest of us. I think the, the big thing is that it caused a lot of havoc with the schedule. And so they did an outstanding job of being flexible in a time uh, when there was really nothing that I could 100% say was gonna happen. Um, they 
had schedule changes sometimes 48 hours in advance sometimes 24 hours in advance um and we had to close a whole section of the ed uh due to patient volumes and so they were getting sent home like coming over and get sent home um they were getting canceled uh that kind of stuff now i'll be honest i don't think there's any resident that is going to be upset that they had to work one last day so hey that's something nice um but i do think it's hard to live on a 48 hour basis like with your schedule constantly changing like you're supposed to come in at four well now you're coming in at one you're supposed to come in at one well now you're coming in at 11. um and i think that's hard but they really didn't complain uh they made sure that all the shifts were covered they sent each other home if the volumes weren't high enough um they made sure that patients were adequately taken care of they they truly did an outstanding job of keeping the department moving uh while being flexible and still trying to learn about the disease process with the rest of us and, and for that i really uh commend them because it is really hard uh to be a learner in a space where nobody can tell you something for 100 percent positive so i think that that has been uh, a real uh, success. The other thing is that we have conference every week on Wednesdays from uh, 8 a.m. to noon. And it's important to recognize that you have to have conference, right? You have to have didactics as a part of a residency program. Our program didn't miss any didactics despite uh, despite the pandemic. Now, we took everything virtual with, you know, 10 days notice, uh, but uh, we've been doing everything via Zoom. They have adjusted to that like super well. Everybody's figured out how they're gonna participate. They talk a lot in the comments uh, and, and they're still game to learn despite we're still learning the software. Here we are, I think what, five months in, uh, we're still mastering breakout rooms, but uh, I do think that they've done a good job of still keeping the important parts of residency going uh, despite all of this. So. I think that's awesome. Like still adapting to this kind of immense change and still coming out on top and like really, like, like you're saying, like learning it on the on the go not really having someone that does know exactly how everything works and i think that's that's really awesome um and so like as residency director do you think like this has been like one of the most challenging times as um you've been in that position like how has how has that been so i've been the residency program director since october 1st so this entire oh, year okay. has been a challenge um i started it off with a bang uh i had to have some like big meetings and like for planning the residency year and the uh residency uh interview season and slid right on into six month evals and right on into the in-service and then a pandemic so hey uh just keeping it moving keeping it moving it's all good uh so i think it is probably one of the harder times of my career not so much harder times of uh being the residency director i think eventually you get used to stuff just not being normal like we're we're getting to a new normal it's okay um i think the harder part of it has been not being there as much as i'm used to being there so uh, i'm usually found in my office most times uh and so with the pandemic we haven't really had office hours we're not supposed to be uh on site unless you you have real reasons to be on site for a while everybody just started coming back really uh in july ish uh so i think that in particular was hard um i think the social distancing aspect has been hard i think that's been hard for the residents it's been hard for me uh like you can't congregate right so you can't you can't have like wellness gatherings you can't have dinner um 
like together as a class or as a program. Um, and I think those things are actually a lot harder uh, than the than the work itself, if that makes sense. Right. So these, yeah, the adjustments that you have to make for it, right? Um, and so, kind of moving away from that and talking about like your practice as as an emergency physician, how has that also been a challenge? Like, I, I know, like it's kind of hard. You have to balance this new, new responsibility of you know being residency director, especially during this time, and then on top of that, you have your already like um, ongoing profession of being an emergency medicine physician. So our department's done a pretty good job of trying to stay on top of the literature and figure out the COVID literature. It's questionable at best um, because they've rushed it out and some of it's drug sponsored and whatnot. So there's that. But uh, we, I think our faculty have done a good job of trying to weed through it and giving updates. We did a couple journal clubs about whatever was new and outstanding uh, in the COVID literature. And so I think that part's uh, been pretty helpful. Um, and we've all been pretty innovative in the space about like how to intubate the patients without um, causing uh, more exposure to everybody else. Like we experimented with this box thing that you were intubating through at one point. We experimented with uh, drapery so that you didn't have as much spray uh, and all kinds of stuff. And we made like airway kits so that you weren't looking all over the place for airway stuff. Uh, if you need to intubate these patients, we, we worked an entire unit um, that was not really meant for these kinds of things uh, to, to accommodate uh, the, uh, the COVID patients. So I think clinically, uh, it's been a challenge just to make sure that we have all the things uh, in place that we need because like staffing a whole new unit and stacking stuff in there that we weren't we don't intubate in this unit. So uh, it was an observation unit like we, we weren't supposed to have to do those kinds of things over there. So figuring out what needed to be there and all I think uh, was was a challenge, but it's also kind of interesting, right, because it's something we generally don't have to do. Um, but the hardest part in the clinical space is that legit anything can be COVID. Um, patients who come for not COVID sounding things like being hit by a car, test positive for COVID. And I think that's hard, right? Like, especially when you find out like several hours later that their screening test was positive and you're like, well, I didn't see that one coming. Hope they had their mask on the whole time. Hope I had my mask on the whole time. Uh, and, you know, generally we do. I think people are trying to be respectful of everybody and, and wear the mask uh, when they're in the department. But and the hospital has a policy that all of us have to wear a mask at all times. But um, I think that's been the hard part. Like rashes can be COVID. Uh, you know, cough can be COVID. Toe pain can be COVID, <laughs> stroke can be COVID. And so I think, you know, that that part's actually been, been a lot harder is the, is it COVID or is it actually the stroke? Is it COVID or is it actually the heart attack? Um, and, you know, you, you try not to treat anybody differently regardless, right? Like you want to maintain the standard of care, um, but it's always in the back of your head, is this COVID? Um, and so I think that that has made practicing I don't know if I'd say harder, but I'd go with definitely more interesting. Right, and I think that's kind of um, scary to think about for the future too, right? Like, especially people practicing during this time um, or even learning during this time as a resident, like years down in your practice, like you're still gonna have this, like these flashbacks of like, oh, but what if it's COVID, you know? Like, cause of thinking about, thinking about that for such a long period of time. Uh, that's, that's just really interesting. 
that's the resident's default answer right now. Yeah. Like whenever we do stem cases or we talk through a case, they're like, it's COVID. I'm like, this case is right before COVID. Stop. It's not COVID. Oh man. That's <laughs> it's uh, yeah, a very interesting time to be practicing, I think, or to be learning. Uh, wow. But yeah. Do you, um, do you feel like the like emergency department at, at um, Viden is, is handling everything like perfectly? Like I know you were talking about earlier, they're very like very accommodating um, and understanding with precautions and everything. Um, but I think a lot of health systems have been really like tested, right? Like there are things that no hospital could have seen coming. There are you know like you were saying, you had to make like like intubation kits. You had to make um, a lot of different accommodations that you normally wouldn't do. Um, and so there, there probably were some struggles initially. Are there any in particular that stand out to you? I think that Vidant did a great job of planning ahead as far as they could. I think we planned for stuff that we planned for stuff that didn't happen. And honestly, that's a good thing because I would much rather us plan for the surge that doesn't show up than for us to not plan for the surge and then it gets here and we have no plan. Um, and I think Vidant Health. Uh, as a system actually did uh, a pretty good job of dreaming up a plan and, and figuring out not only how it was going to work at Vidant Medical Center, but how it was going to work in the region. Um, and so I think, you know, they definitely deserve kudos for putting all of that together. I think some hard things in, in the emergency department and, and things that I don't think maybe administration expected it, but I certainly didn't expect it. Um, volumes went down, way down. And when you are planning like a schedule and staffing and things and volumes are half of what they usually are, um, I'm not quite sure the hospital anticipated that. And so, um, and even if they had, I don't think there's really much they could do about it, right? Like, like you can't make the patients come and then on the same token, you're planning for a surge that hasn't quite yet happened. And so, I think what the hardest part has been uh, not really at the beginning of this. The harder part is kind of now that volumes are picking back up, um, but staffing is not picking up um, as well uh, as as I think we would like. Um, and so we've got some units down, and so it's making it hard uh, to get throughput through the department. And I don't necessarily think that's anybody's poor planning. I just think that there's things that you couldn't have planned for. Um, and so now we're trying to get closer back to normal. So like all the sides of the emergency department are now open 24 seven, uh, which they weren't for a while. Um, and we're seeing patients more so not a hundred percent at the rate we were before, but, but we're getting close and it's, it's hard when you can't get them upstairs as fast as you would like. Um, and I know that it's not just us who feel that way. It's like the whole hospital feels that way. And so we're still working on how to do all of that stuff. But I think the hospital is trying um, and they're also learning what the new normal looks like, right? So uh, I, if anybody has been to Vidant Medical Center, you know we've been getting screened when you come in the door. You get your temperature taken, they ask you a laundry list of uh, symptoms, do you have any of these things? Um, and so we've been getting screened that way at specific entrances and all other doors to the hospital are locked uh, since March, since March. And so today, on the 17th of August, uh, those people go away for the first time uh, since March. And so um, 
for me at least it, that feels like we're getting back to normal when nobody's waving a thermometer at my forehead when I get out of my car so um like I am truly looking forward to what our new normal looks like um and what that adjustment is going to entail right and that's that's super exciting you know to see that like I'm sure for you like seeing from Mars seeing all these changes and finally seeing these like like um things being lifted up, right? Like seeing that change. How um, do you know how it's been for like other hospitals like nearby or like, you know, like UNC or like th those kind of um, places? Like how has, um, how has it affected them? And has there been like a collaborative kind of spirit with this? Like, you know, hospitals working together to um, like you figure out what the best way to manage things are. Um, how is that like collaborative spirit going on? between hospitals in the country or in the region? Yeah, just anywhere, yeah. So I think that um, social media has really helped propagate a lot of information, right? So as soon as people are figuring stuff out, they are posting it to Twitter and Instagram and putting it out there and listservs. So um, the stuff I was talking about with intubating in a box and intubating with like a drape and all kinds of stuff, that's stuff that people were seeing online and getting from friends and other places that were already experiencing this. And so, you know, people are putting out there, this is what we did. This is what makes sense. Um, we tried this, this did not work. Um, and kind of what had been going on in other countries too. Right. So, and even that stuff really came out over social media too, like when this was first happening. So I think that, um, they call it uh, FOMED, right? so free open access uh, medical education. And so like that has been truly helpful in people trying to learn new stuff and trying to do stuff in real time. Now, that being said, a lot of it is like trial and error, right? Like we tried this thing, it worked. We tried this thing, it didn't work. Um, and you can't really say that it's like scientifically sound. Um, on the same token, they had done all these studies in the past like eight months or so some of those aren't scientifically sound either so um at least the stuff that people have been doing in real time we know it works or it doesn't work right so i think that's been helpful and people have been really good about sharing their experiences uh both like in written form and and it's both via tweets right so uh i think i've appreciated those things um i think that in the region for the most part, like I think a lot of folks look divided to kind of set the tone, like what what are we doing at VMC? Uh, and then how do we spread that to the rest of the region? And, and is what we're doing here possible um, at other places? Because some of the stuff that we can accommodate cannot be accommodated in the 16 bed DDA Beaufort County, like that just can't happen. Um, and so I think, uh, the hospital has been doing a good job of having all the departments kind of work together. How are we going to transfer the COVID patient? Can that patient get in the helicopter? What if we contaminate the helicopter? Um, so how do we move patients around the region? Who, who comes straight dividing? Who stays where they are? Um, how do we protect the people at the home hospital? Everything and everything in between, especially when testing was first getting ramped up and we didn't have a fast test. So we are presuming you have COVID because we don't actually know because the test is gonna take six hours to come back and this patient needs to be transported now. Um, and so I think they've done a good job working together and trying to figure all those things out while trying to keep everybody safe. That's awesome. Um, and I think the, 
way you're talking about social media, right? Like how we're, we're spreading a lot of information that's really, really good. Um, I think also is, like you said, accessible to everyone. And so a lot of patients and people are, are seeing it. And do you see like patients coming into the like emergency room? Like, I mean, most people that come into the emergency department, right, aren't coming there like could, like they want to, right? They, they, they're coming there because they have to. And, and they're, they're usually pretty scared, right? Do you see like patients being more like anxious or scared because of these COVID problems? Or are you seeing like, what are their um, sentiments um, during this time? I think people are scared. I think they're confused. Um, I'll be honest with any viral illness, everybody wants a cure, right? Like even the common right. cold, like I'm still coughing. Well, I'm sorry, I really want to cure that. I can, it takes, it's going to take a few weeks for your cough to go away kind of thing. Um, I think that they're they're scared, right? And so I've had patients that specifically come because uh, they were in the vicinity of someone who had COVID and they just want to be tested, but they themselves have no symptom. I've had the patients who come in with like real emergencies and need to be admitted to the hospital. And they're like, I don't want to be admitted to the hospital because I might catch COVID. And I was like, but at least if you're in the hospital, ma'am, we know who has the COVID on the unit. So we have to screen everybody. Um, but, you know, they, they have real problems. Like they really need to be admitted to the hospital, heart attacks, strokes, um, infections, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and people are like, nope, I don't want to be admitted because I'm scared of the COVID. So I think those things have actually been harder for me than the people who are, uh, you know, coming in and saying, well, I'd like hydroxychloroquine because I saw it on the news might help with my COVID or, uh, well, ma'am, you, you, we don't even know if you have COVID. Um, well, test me anyway. And, and, and I want the prescription just in case. No, ma'am, we, we don't do that. Um, so I, I think that's actually a much easier conversation to have than the I would like for you to stay in the hospital for your life-threatening illness and or injury, and you don't want to stay because you're too scared you might get sick. Um, like that one, that one makes it's a lot harder for me personally because while I, I am, I, I personally am, am, am not super um, high risk for COVID, and so that's not something that like I lose a lot of sleep over. Um, I can see how if I was, you know, a lot older with a lot of comorbidities, why I might be scared and, and to identify with those patients. And if this was my grandmother, what would I want for her uh, kind of situations and, and trying to talk through it with the patients? Because at the end of the day, the patients get to get to decide, right? Like I get to give you my opinion and you get to tell me how you feel about that. Um, and, and I tell them that, but I think that that has been particularly hard for me. Right. And like you said, that comorbid, comorbidity, like people coming in, you know, with signs of stroke or, or heart attack, that making them more at risk for this, for COVID as well. And so it's kind of like a, a double, double-edged sword. Like you need to come to the hospital to get that treated, but their fear is getting exposed to it. So that's our concern with the volumes being lower for that period of time is people didn't stop having heart attacks and strokes. They didn't stop getting sick. They didn't stop getting illnesses but the, the volume dropped off. And, and I will be the first one to tell you that, that we definitely see a lot of things in the emergency department that don't need to be in the emergency department. And that's okay with this. If you need help, we're happy to provide it 24 seven, 365. Doesn't matter if you come in for a stub toe, but the rate of heart attacks and strokes did not go down during COVID yet. We weren't seeing them at the rate that we were before. And so that just told me like how scared people are is that they would rather tough out their stroke 
or heart attack or equally life-threatening illness at home than to come in due to fear of the virus. Right. That's just so scary. Like, because it's just that, that, um, everyone's scared of COVID, like you're saying, and that's just like, people are thinking it's more scary than these conditions. And that's very like concerning, right. To, to see that. Yeah. I mean, talking about, um, patients in general, like your practice, how long have you been practicing? Um, Oh, this makes year 10. I've been out of residency six years now. So this is is year 10. Wow. Yeah. And I'm sure like over those 10 years of, of practice, you've gotten, you've seen a lot, right? You've probably seen a lot of interesting cases, a lot of cases that have stuck out to you and really um, been highlights of your career or maybe very significant events. Um, are there any like patient encounters that you, um, that particularly stand out to you that you would want to share, like a little story or something? It's silly things that you remember. So yeah. I remember being a resident and a two-year-old, maybe he's two and a half, had like ear pain and he was super cute. He had on a yellow t-shirt. So yeah, I remember like little details about it. And I talked to him about his ear and it's like, let me see your ear. And he was super patient and he let me look in both ears without biting and he was adorable. And I went out to go order something uh, to talk to the nurse or whatever about what the plan was. And as I'm walking out of the room, patient says, doctor, don't go. You have to fix my ear. <laughs> um, and you know, it's things like that. That's like, that's, that's why you do emergency medicine, right? Like, so that you can fix the problems that people came to the hospital for. And, you know, he, he got like a cookie and a sticker just for being extra cute and, and accommodating because they hate when you look in their ears in case you weren't aware. So, um, like he did such a great job and he, he got, you know, some antibiotics for his ear infection and we all moved on. But, uh, I think like the cute interactions are probably the ones that stand out the most. Like, People think that a lot of what we do is, you know, the people talk about saving lives. They talk about, you know, like codes and, and managing like super ill people. And all of those things are important. But I will tell you right now that none of those people remember me. Um, and that's fine. And, and that's not what we're out for. But uh, the people that I probably have worked hardest on are people who never knew I was there. And and that I think is one of the things with emergency medicine is like we we are we are there in the time of greatest need, and if you really needed us, you never saw us. So, um, I think the other things that kind of stand out are are like the the things that match the textbook, right? So, uh, patients don't read the textbook, so every once in a while you get the patient, you're like, oh my gosh, I read about that intentionally, and that's exactly what they said was going to happen, and I did these things, and it got better. Um, so, you know, things like aortic dissection and people losing uh, like, uh, pulses from an aortic aneurysm repair, and they kind of clot it off, and they end up with no pulses in their legs. I'm like, I saw that one time. I've never, I've read about that. I didn't know that that actually happened in real life, and it's silly to say that because it's in a book. So clearly it happened in real life or it wouldn't be in your textbook, but um, you know, it's rare. So you don't see it that often. So uh, you remember those times too. And you remember the times when uh, you did all the things right and it just didn't matter. Um, and I think that's the the hardest part of medicine in general is, is you can do all the right things. You can give all the right medicines at the right time. And you, you sometimes can't win. And, I'm not positive. At that point, I'm one, you know, I think to myself, maybe I wasn't supposed to win that one. 
but it still sucks regardless. Right. And how do you deal with that, those kind of situations? Like, you know, those, you know, it feels like a defeat, I, I would imagine, right? Sometimes. Yep. Um, I mean, I think you probably beat yourself up a little bit. You play the what if game. Like, what if I had done this? What if, what if I had done that? And uh, a lot of times I think the thing that helps the most is talking about it with somebody else. Um, you know, HIPAA compliant, of course, but like, you know, these are the things that I did. And it's helpful to hear from somebody else that there was literally nothing else you could do. Um, you did all the right things. Like, well, and then you dream up the, well, what if I had done this? You're like, okay, let's say you did X, Y, and Z. Would that have helped? And your answer always is going to be, I don't know. And their answer is going to be like, think about that. Like, would that really have helped given all the things that were going on? No, probably not. Um, and, and I think that does help talking it through um, and, and getting the support of other people who have been there, I think helps. Um, and, you know, everybody has coping mechanisms, right? So, like, for the most part, like, mine involves video games uh, and, and lots of noodles and or carbs of some other sort, um, which is probably bad. Uh, and I've done better about that during COVID. But in, in general, you know, everybody has their thing that makes them feel better. Uh, noodles makes me feel better. Um, it just does. So uh, I think, uh, you know, learning what it is that makes you tick and, and making sure that you have the support uh, of others, I think it's helpful. And so my department is always super supportive um, in, in giving you some feedback and stuff. Even if the case went wrong and, and you could have maybe done something better, I think everybody is good about like giving you the feedback and being supportive of you in the moment. Um, even when we do morbidity and mortality conference, um, which is when we discuss cases that didn't go according to plan uh, as, a, as a department, I think even that is, is more camaraderie um, and talking about what happened more so not in a Dr. Bradby, you did this wrong. It's um, this is how this maybe could have gone better or we see you didn't do X, Y, and Z. Why didn't you do it? Um, and sometimes it's important to remember the environment in which we work, right? So we're looking at a singular case and forgetting that in the middle of the singular case, I got handed 10 EKGs, such and such was going on in the background. You can hear the like the drunk person like screaming uh, in in the room next door and you know, 600 other things are going on as somebody's trying to tell you a presentation and you're trying uh, to make sure that nobody is dying, right? And so, when you look at one case, you it's hard to remember that all of that stuff was going on at the same time. And I think it's good having other people remind you, like, you weren't in the department doing this one thing. You were in the department doing 50 things, and this was one of them. Um, and so, you know, not to beat yourself up so much. Right. And I, I can imagine, like, you personally have to deal with all that. And then as a, you know, as the director, like, you see residents dealing with that for the first time sometimes. And so then you have to like think back to like how it was for you. And then how is that um, relationship work? Do you know, I think with the residents? I think it is helpful like in the space to talk about it a little bit, just because it's your, you know, it's my patient too. So like if, right. if they're feeling like down about it, I probably am too. And so trying to process that like together, I think it helps them to know that we, still feel that way it's not like you get to be an attending and you're all knowing it kind of feels that way sometimes but like you're not um and i think it helps them to process their own it, honestly it's kind of it's grief to some degree right like 
um, like talking about it and, and trying to process that kind of together, I think is helpful. Um, and sometimes depending on how it went, like I, I can't process it with them right in the moment. I can do my very best. We talk about it a little bit, but, uh, sometimes it takes a day or two to, to make peace and then circle back and talk about it. Cause if it, if it was particularly bad, like, we ourselves as physicians had to pull it together before we can try and help somebody else process something. So that's awesome. And I kind of like a <clears throat> question to close it out. Um, like personally, like I, I know I want to go into medicine and I just, you know, I'm not sure what exactly I want to do. Um, and so I, I just, you know, love having these conversations with, with professionals like yourself to, you know, to really figure out what each field is about. And if you had to, describe emergency medicine how would you describe it succinctly succinct is not my forte uh, <laughs> emergency medicine uh is a specialty that treats everyone all races all creeds all backgrounds regardless of whether or not you can pay and we do that 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year we will not turn you away. We will always take care of you. We are always there for you. Um, and that's really why I went into the specialty. Like we all talk about going into medicine to help people. And I feel like in my job, I help people. Um, I get to see everyone. I can take care of the head of whatever corporation here in Greenville, right next door to the homeless person who really just needs us, you know, to give them some tender love and care. Like, I think that it's important to, it, it keeps me in touch with humanity, right? Like, like I know what is going on, like in the, in the community uh, on a regular basis, not necessarily just because I live in the community, but because people tell it to me when I'm at work. Um, I learned the history of the community. I learned about where we're going. I learned about, uh, I learned about schools. Like I don't have any children. So I learned what's going on in the schools. I learned all of that from work because I take care of everybody. And so, uh, it keeps me in touch, uh, with what's important to me, uh, and kind of, uh, the importance of being part of the community. Gosh, and I guess that's the magic of medicine, right? You, you're always learning something, you know, whether it be medicine, whether it be, um, something else about about the world very true awesome well thank you so much dr bradby for your time i really appreciate it um you had an awesome conversation and, and thank you so much for coming coming up it's a good time thanks for having me